Good morning. Our scripture for this morning is taken from Psalm number 53, and uh, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, doing abominable iniquity. There is none who does good. God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all fallen away. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Have those who work evil no knowledge, who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon God? There they are, in great terror, where there is no terror. For God scatters the bones of him who encamps against you. You put them to shame, for God has rejected them. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When God restores the fortunes of his people, let Jacob rejoice, let Israel be glad. This is the word of the Lord. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. I wonder... As, as you heard that, or you read that, was that offensive? Um, seems like an offensive thing to hear. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Because, you know, we all know, um, we all know atheists or, or, or agnostics who don't know or don't care whether or not God exists. And we know people of other religions, all who seem like perfectly decent, law-abiding, intelligent Hardworking people, right? But but fools, we we don't we don't talk that way. So so I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised at all if you feel offended by that. And and just the bad news is is everybody will feel offended by the time I'm done talking today. Um, the good news is everything that I say that may sound offensive. First and foremost, I'm talking about myself. Okay. So uh, I'm, I'm speaking about myself whenever you hear something out of my mouth today that sounds offensive. But please understand, I didn't make it up. I'm just taking it out of the Bible, which I believe is, is, is the true authoritative word of God, uh, God's revelation to humanity. So that's the context, okay? Now, look, I wouldn't be surprised if you look at something like that. The fool says in his heart there is no God, and you get offended. Now, if you're not sure about God, who he is, whether he exists, or you don't know where you are in the spectrum of religious uh, belief or spirituality, you may be wondering, hey, is the Bible insulting me here? Now, if you're thinking that way, please stay with me, okay? Don't go anywhere. I want you to, I want you to listen to what I have to say because we can only make sense of that statement that you see up there, Psalm 53, verse 1. We can only make sense of it if we examine the idea of sin in the Bible. Examine the idea of sin and how extensive its impact is upon the world, upon human history, upon every single person. And as we discover how sin operates, how it operates in the world, how it operates in every person, we will, I think, I think you'll agree with me, will come to confess that Psalm 53 is painfully true, but also needfully true. It's kind of like Avery said to the kids earlier today. It's painful to hear you need an operation or you're going to die. That's painful news. But if you want to live, it's essential news. 
It's a needed truth. And that's, that's really what I'm trying to come across, trying to impress upon us about the concept that the fool says in his heart there is no God. Now, if you were with us yesterday morning and attended Ryan Itzel's seminar on talking about Christianity with other people, this will sink, Psalm 53 sinks beautifully with everything that we heard yesterday. Humanity's corruption is deep, but God's salvation goes deeper. That's bad news followed up by good news. The corruption of our sin and depravity is deep, but the grace and forgiveness and mercy of God run deeper than that. So I want to talk to you today about the nature of sin, what it is and what it's about. And I want to talk about the impact of sin on our lives and the world. And I want to talk about how to be delivered from it. Those three ideas, sin's nature, its impact on us and the world, and how to be delivered from it. The nature of our corruption, I'll use some synonyms, of our depravity, the nature of our sin is wide and it's deep. That's what I want to talk about first. The nature of sin is that it is wide and it is deep within humanity. So it's wide, meaning sin is everywhere. It's everywhere. Look at what the psalmist, it's attributed to David, says in, in verses 2 and 3. God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there's anyone who understand, who seek after God. And this is what he discovers. They have all fallen away. Together they've become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Now, of course, the Psalms are, they're songs, they're prayers, they're poetry. So David's being poetic. And from a poetic perspective, it seems like he is hyperbolizing, meaning he's being dramatic here. When he says there's no one that does good, everyone's become corrupt, obviously he is being dramatic. But is he exaggerating? He's being dramatic, but is he exaggerating? I don't think he is at all, and I think you would agree. Just watch the evening news tomorrow night. Or get on your smartphone first thing in the morning, maybe not the first thing in the morning. I, I got to get right with the Lord before I look at my phone. Good grief. But grab your f smartphone in the morning and just scroll through your news feed for 10 seconds. What are you going to find in 10 seconds? The news in Baltimore, right in our own backyard, the news in Washington, D.C., what are you going to find? What are you going to find out in 10 seconds? Murder, theft, fights, corruption. Blue-collar corruption and white-collar corruption. But what are you going to find if you look at Los Angeles news? The news in New York City, the news in London. When you read about what's happening in Ukraine, all over the world, it's the same, different, different communities, different individuals, the news is the same. Murder, theft, rioting, government corruption, white-collar and blue-collar crime. It's the same story all over the world. You see, there's no civilization, there is no nation, there is no culture, there's no ethnicity that has escaped the corruption that the Bible calls sin. And the Apostle Paul, much after David lived, uh, basically a thousand years after David lived, said to the church in Rome, what then, are we Jews any better off? He's talking about Jews and Gentiles because Paul was Jewish. 
Are we Jews any better off than Gentiles? No, not at all, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks. He means everybody, everybody. Jews and Greeks are under sin, as it is written, and then he quotes Psalm 53. None is righteous, no, not one. But you may be thinking, if you're paying attention, if is it fair, is it accurate to say that not even one does good, that not one single person does good? Is that really fair? Gandhi seemed like a good guy. Mother Teresa seemed like a good gal. And you may even be thinking to yourself, I, I'm kind of a good person. I mean, I, I can think of a lot of people in the world that are way worse than I am. So is it really fair to say there's not a single one that does good? Well, sin is not only wide, it's deep. It's not only everywhere, it has infiltrated, it has contaminated, it has permeated the human soul. And so once again, the apostle Paul in his letter to the church in Rome, now, now Paul was a bad guy for a while and, and, then, and then he changed, he changed his ways. He became an exemplary person. Paul wrote almost half of the New Testament, right? So not a shabby guy. And yet Paul said of himself, for I do not do what I want, but the evil that I do not want is what I keep on doing. Does that sound familiar to you? Can you relate to that? Eugene Peterson described it this way. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. That describes me every day. How about you? Even Christian theology agrees with the Apostle Paul that our knowledge is contaminated as individuals, our words are contaminated as individuals, and of course, our actions, what we do, is contaminated. The Westminster Shorter Catechism sums up that theology by saying, no mere man, that means men and women, no mere man since the fall is able in this life perfectly to keep the commandments of God, but doth daily break them in thought, word, and deed. That covers it all, doesn't it? What you think, what you say, and what you do. That's all of you. That's everything. But sin has contaminated all of it, the Bible says. And I love how the children's catechism uh, simplifies that statement. Uh, we, Becky and I, in our, our, our last church, we used to teach it to our kids, and our older kids uh, learned the, the kids' catechism. And the way it sums it up is there's a question, how sinful are you? And the kid says, I am corrupt in every part of my being. I love saying that. How corrupt are you? I, how sinful are you? I am corrupt in every part of my being. But yeah, you better believe you are. Don't forget it. I love saying that to my kids, especially my boys. You are corrupt in every part of your being. Never forget that. But of course, that's only the bad news. But hey, we got to listen to the bad news. It's still important news. I am corrupt in every part of my being. Look, it's not that we are always, don't misunderstand the concept of original sin. It's not that we are always thinking and doing and saying and posting evil all the time. That's not what the Bible says. It's not what Psalm 53 is saying. We are still image bearers. Do you realize that you, 
You, even if you don't believe in God or you don't know if he loves you or wants anything to do with you, you are created in his image. You represent the creator on this planet. The highest primates do not represent God. And even though your DNA is quite similar to theirs, you are fundamentally different than them because you were created in the image of God. You were created to reflect his goodness and beauty and justice and love and glory on this planet. So as a human being, you have incalculable worth, dignity, and purpose. So you're not human biological waste. That's not the doctrine of original sin. It's just that, as one scholar put it, Michael Horton, it's that no part of us can save the rest of us. No part of humanity can save the rest of humanity. No part of America can save the rest of, of America. No part of Brian can save the rest of Brian. I'm corrupt through and through. That's the nature of sin. It has spread wide throughout all of us, and it has spread deep into each of us. I really think, as a kind of a side note, but it's relevant because it's a popular divisive topic in the last several years, I really think the problem with critical theory is that it's not critical enough. Because you see, it's, it's not just white people. It's not just Western civilization. It's not just straight people. It's not just men. It's all of us. Everyone is corrupt. And yes, there is oppression, and yes, there are oppressors. But the Bible says the corruption has contaminated everyone. Because when God looks down at all of humanity, what does the psalm says? He sees regardless of race, religion, nationality, language, gender. What does God see when he looks down at all humanity? Together they have become corrupt. Now, if you're not offended by now, let's keep going. What about being called fools? I, I, I promised I'd come back to that. Well, the impact of sin is that if it's gone unchecked, it dehumanizes you. Sin unchecked in your life dehumanizes you. Verse 4, the psalmist asked the question. He's coming from the perspective of a king. David was a king. He had a lot of responsibility, and for the most part, for the most part, he loved his people. And he says, have those who work evil no knowledge, who eat up my people as they eat bread, and do not call on God? See, the imagery there is one of beasts devouring their prey. So think of cartoons, right? What do cartoons do with animals? They personify them. They give, they give animals, cartoons give animals human-like characteristics like Bugs Bunny or Mickey Mouse or Finding Nemo, right? I mean, like fish aren't really like that. And so we, we, give, we give the animal human-like traits to make it relatable. Well, in Psalm 53, the opposite thing is happening. Psalm 53 is animalizing humans with the concept of saying we are fools, if we do not acknowledge God. The original Hebrew word there for fool, it did not mean that someone was intellectually deficient. It meant that they were morally deficient. And in the, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the original word for food did not mean that someone lacked intelligence. They lacked reason. Now, reason's the thing that separates us from the rest of the animals, right? 
John Calvin said, there is no stupidity more brutish than forgetfulness of God. Sin gone unchecked dehumanizes us because the essence of being a human being is to be godlike. But the essence of sin is to reject God, to deny him, and, 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 and even just forgetting about him, not keeping up with him, letting him drift away to the back quiet corners of our lives where he's really not actively involved. That's the same thing. Sin gone unchecked dehumanizes us. So according to some, some, some studies done, uh, some polls done a few years ago, uh, like 2018 or so, turns out that 90% of Americans to varying degrees of doubt or certainty believe in God or a God or some type of higher power. 90% of Americans believe in some type of high, higher power. But check this out, only 47% of Americans believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. And out of that 47%, not all of them believe that it's trustworthy and reliable and true. Listen to this, only 24% of Americans believe that the Bible should be taken as the actual, literal word of God, okay? So at... at, at on the surface, we look like we're a relatively religious society, and, and we are. Many societies are. Even though we become more and more secular, we're relatively, you know, most people believe that there's some type of higher power or God. Yeah, but less than a quarter of our American population actually thinks that God has spoken and that his words have been historically preserved in what we call the Bible and that those words are trustworthy and true which means that most Americans live as though God does not exist, as though he does not have a voice, as though he has not spoken, as though we cannot know him and what his will is. And now this ancient Bible is beginning to sound very relevant and prophetic, right? For although they knew God, Paul said in Romans chapter 1, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him but they became futile in their thinking. And this is where the brutish concept of, of, of being a fool comes in. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Sin gone unchecked in your life dehumanizes you. And therefore, the psalmist says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Sin, and let me give you another uh, uh, expression for it, moral foolishness, okay? Moral foolishness, spiritual ambiguity. Sin is hard to admit, but it's necessary. Can you admit it? Can you admit that you're a sinner? If you've heard of C.S. Lewis, and he has this great series of children's books called The Chronicles of Narnia, and in The Chronicles of Narnia, he offers, in different books, he offers two illustrations of fools. One is a fool who resists correction and suffers for it in the end, and the other is a fool who ultimately repents and changes his ways. The first fool is Prince Rabidash from The Horse and His Boy. And this young man, he's, a, he's royalty, but he's ruthless. He's selfish. 
He's prideful, he's crass, he's lustful, he's bloodthirsty, he's cruel. Even though he's rich, even though he's powerful, he's all of these terrible things. And when he meets Aslan, the true king, he refuses Aslan's help. He refuses Aslan's wisdom. And even as Rabadash is speaking arrogantly, violently against the truth, against all goodness, against the desire to want to change his ways, even while he's speaking, he turns into a donkey. And his human speech starts to change until by the end of it, he's just braying like a wild donkey, incoherent. There's another fool in The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, Eustace Clarence Scrub. What a name. And uh, Eustace is this selfish little spoiled disrespectful, annoying, whiny little kid. He's very intelligent. He's very well-groomed by his parents. But he's a punk. And at the height of his selfishness, Eustace is turned into a dragon. And, 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 and at one he doesn't realize he's a dragon, but he knows something's wrong. And he, and he comes to this clear pool of water, and he sees his reflection and the reflection looking back at him is this hideous dragon. And he discovers he's, he's, he's become on the outside what he's always been on the inside. Right? The, the, the well-educated, well-groomed, nice-looking little boy had become what he was in his soul. A beast. A monster. But he meets Aslan and he humbles himself. And through a very painful but life-changing process, Eustace lets Aslan change him back into a boy. And his life was different. And his decisions were different. And his reputation starting to ch started to change. And the next year, he went back to school. And the teachers and students said, who is this kid? The Bible will show you a reflection of yourself. And let me tell you, when you look at that reflection, you will discover, I am way worse than I thought I was. I'm a monster. Can you admit that in your heart? Can you admit? This isn't me. I'm Psalm 53. Can you admit? When the Bible shows you yourself, you're far more hideous than you thought you were. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. That may not mean atheism for you. It may just mean not considering the truth, not looking at your reflection in the Word of God, you know? Um, but from our beastly and godless living, Jesus Christ rehumanizes us. Our sin dehumanizes us. Jesus Christ does the opposite. That's what we've been singing about and praying about and reciting all morning. If you would admit the depths of your own sin, you could then embrace the deeper depths of God's salvation. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. That's, that's how David concludes his discouraging lament. The world is a mess. And there are all these people denying that God exists and that he cares and that he's involved and that he will bring wickedness to justice and that he will vindicate those who suffer. 
Doesn't anybody see that? He brings it all into a prayer. He says, oh, that God would do something. Won't you do something, God? Won't you bring salvation out of Zion? That, that meant Jerusalem, where the temple was, where God's presence resided. Oh, oh, that God would do something. And he did. Not right away, but eventually he did. When Jesus, the, ancestor, uh, the descendant of David, died on a Roman cross outside of Zion, outside of Jerusalem. When Jesus died for all kinds of people who had sinned against God, salvation came out of Zion. When Jesus, the perfect human being, died in the place of criminals like me, hideous monsters like me, who have broken God's law. And the book of Hebrews in the, Bible, in the New Testament tells us we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet was without sin. That separates Jesus from every single one of us. That separates Jesus from every type of rabbi or priest or shaman or chief that you can think of in history. He was without sin. He was the only one that truly lived as a human being should live, reflecting the goodness and love and glory and justice of God on this planet. But he was treated like an animal. He was disregarded and falsely accused and beaten to within inches of his life and hung in humiliation on a Roman cross for everyone to see. Though he had done nothing wrong, had committed no crime, had been perfect in word and thought and deed. The Bible answers the inhumanity of life with the promises of justice and forgiveness. The promise of justice is that Jesus died for your sin and God won't judge you for it anymore because he judged that sin on the cross when Jesus died there. And that's also the promise of forgiveness. Once that justice has been met on the cross, you can be forgiven. Those who want to be beast-like, God will let you be beast-like, but you'll be judged in the end, and rightly so. You want to keep living as though God doesn't exist. Spiritual foolishness, he'll let you. But in the end, the cross doesn't count for you because you remain in your sins. But if you want to, God will let you be a braying donkey. That's essentially what Psalm 53 is saying. But those who want forgiveness will become like Jesus himself because their sin has been paid for and washed away and forgotten by God. And we will become truly human, truly human like Jesus. Our corruption is wide, it is deep, but God's salvation is deeper. You know, that's part of our vision as a church. If you go to our website and look at our vision statement, Part of our vision statement is to discover together what? The depths of Christ's love. And to share that with each other and to share it with the community and bring that hope to our county and to our world. Join us in doing that. Are you a Christian but you feel like you're sitting on the sidelines? Join us in discovering the depths of Jesus' love. It didn't matter how deep our sin was, his grace went deeper. If you're not a Christian, but you're hovering around us, I'm so glad you are. We, we, we love you. Like, we, we want you here. But join us in discovering that Christ's love goes deeper 
than the darkest things you've ever thought or said or done that you don't want anybody to know about. Join us in discovering the depths of Christ's love, like a well that offers living water. John Newton, uh, hundreds of years ago in, in England, John Newton, he was a pretty bad dude. He was a slave trader and... Um, he became a Christian, and then he gave up slave trading, and he, he, clean, he, got, his, he got his life together. He became a, a highly impactful pastor, and he wrote, he wrote a ton of hymns. He loved Jesus. And he said this, I remember two things, that I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great Savior. And that's what I say to myself before I preach every Sunday. Like if you want to know what, is, what am I thinking when I'm coming up here to preach, I am thinking I am a great sinner, but Christ is a great Savior. And I pray you can admit both, both, that your sins are great, but Christ's grace is greater. Can you admit that? The depths of your sin, but the depths of his salvation. Romans 5.20 says, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And I hope you, wherever you are in your spiritual journey, maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time, but you are blind to some type of sinful pattern in your life. Admit it. Admit it. And he's died for those sins. You are forgiven. Live like you're forgiven. If you feel like you're on the outside, friend, and you're not following Jesus, but you're hanging around, good. Keep hanging around. Maybe, as Jesus said to somebody, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Stick around, and let's discover the depths of his love together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It is offensive. It tees us off. But we do know that the truth sometimes is scary and painful to hear. Thank you, though, that you have offered us your salvation, your forgiveness, reconciliation with you. We confess, Father, that sin, that, that corruption is wide, it's everywhere, but it's deep, it's in each of us. Thank you, though, that the grace of Jesus goes deeper, that your forgiveness and love go deeper than that. Thank you. We love you. And as we prepare to celebrate the Lord's Supper now, um, Lord, work in our hearts. Help us to feast on this spiritual reality that Jesus died in our place so that we could be forgiven and not face your eternal judgment. Help us to rejoice that he loved us that much, that he would be treated so inhumanely so that we could be with you and be forgiven. Amen.